Hello, welcome back to Undressing the Issue. I'm your host, Julia Alperovich. Today, I would like to touch on a topic that was actually requested by somebody uh, through Instagram. And it's a really interesting topic. Maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't. It is relationship OCD. R-O-C-D. What is it? Well, I'll tell you. Relationship OCD is also sometimes referred to as relationship substantiation. That probably gives you a hint about what it actually is, but uh, let me explain. Somebody who has relationship OCD is somebody who is constantly questioning uh, their love, attraction, compatibility, and reciprocation in their own relationship. They're constantly wondering if this is as good as it gets, if something else could be better. Now, OCD, we know, is classified as an anxiety disorder. I shouldn't say we, I know. It's an anxiety disorder. And there's a reason for this. And relationship OCD is exactly that as well. It's anxiety. It's driven by anxiety. It's driven by fear that I'm settling for less. What I have isn't good enough. Maybe something else is better. Maybe someone else is better. What if this is not the best thing for me? What if something better is out there? That's essentially in a nutshell what relationship OCD is. Now, I think to better understand this, I need to explain what OCD, just basic OCD is. So we know that the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, that is what we use to diagnose people. It's what defines our diagnostic criteria. And basically, to diagnose OCD, we look at two main clusters of symptoms, obsessions and compulsions. Hence the name OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. So obsessions are basically just recurrent thoughts, urges, images, things that we can't stop playing in our minds over and over and over again to the point where they cause us distress. They're intrusive. They intrude on our lives and our ability to function on a daily basis. And it also becomes so intense that we look for ways to neutralize it. It, it sort of eats away at somebody. It's constantly there. They can't shake it. It's like, it's like a record playing on a loop. And it gets to the point where you've heard it so many times that like you start kind of going crazy because you keep hearing it over and over and over again. Now, those attempts to neutralize these intrusive, repetitive thought patterns are compulsions. Remember, obsessive compulsive disorder. So the obsessions are those recurrent thoughts, images, urges, feelings, all of that playing on a loop. And then when we attempt to get ourselves out of that loop, that's when we engage in compulsions. Now, compulsions are also repetitive, 
but their behaviors or mental acts um, or some type of drive to perform something like a like a rigid rule that is supposed to help us get out of that obsessive loop. Okay, so for example, um, if my obsession is that uh, that for some reason I'm obsessed and repetitively thinking that I'm not safe, someone could break into my house, right? And I decide on a rule that the only way for me to ensure that my house is secured is if I go back and I lock and unlock and lock my doors three times. It has to be exactly three times. That's that compulsion. It has to be this way. It's a rigid number. It has to be exactly that way. And that once I do that, it'll give me some relief from that distress from those intrusive thoughts and worries and images I'm playing over and over again in my head of somebody breaking into my house, okay? Now, these compulsions are supposed to prevent anxiety as well as pull us out of existing anxiety. It's also supposed to get us out of any type of dread or distress, but the problem is Many times, the connection between the compulsion and the obsession is not realistic. So, for example, there's nothing that says that that three times of locking and unlocking and locking my door again is exactly what's going to guarantee that my house remains secured. Who says one time won't do it or six times or ten times? But we've convinced ourselves that it has to be three, there's that rigid rule, and there's no actual realistic, logical, valid, rational reason for it being three, okay? This is where a lot of OCD behaviors seem really bizarre to other people because people who don't have these worries, who don't have these obsessions or these urges, these compulsions, these this need to do a specific thing, because they don't have it, for them when they watch it, they're like, what are they doing? That makes no sense. Why do you need to lock and unlock and lock and unlock and lock, unlock and lock your house again? You, you had it locked after the first time. What's, what's the point? For them, they see the irrational nature of it. But to the person who has OCD, It's become the one behavior that they can engage in to ease that worry. If they do it exactly this way, as much as it seems ridiculous to them, this is the only thing that's going to ease it. And so they get into these rituals and routines to manage all of those repeated intrusive thoughts. Okay. When you apply this to somebody in a relationship who has these repeated intrusive thoughts about basically comparing other people or other relationships to their own, same sort of thing can happen. So it can become obsessive. It's on a loop 
well, so-and-so has a nicer body than my partner. So-and-so has a better education than my partner. So-and-so makes more money. So-and-so is has similar hobbies and interests to me versus my partner. We're totally different. What would it be like? And would it potentially be better to be with somebody who likes all the same things as me versus somebody who's different from me? Is it really true that opposites attract or is it better when we're more similar? And so all of this questioning, all of this speculation and pondering and comparison and judgment starts to operate on a loop, much like it does for somebody who has OCD around something else, whether it's you know, a germ phobia, or it's cleanliness, or it's safety, or it's just a need to do some type of repetitive behavior, whatever the case may be, there's this dread that if I don't do this, I will die, I will suffer, I will be hurt, right? It's the same sort of thing with relationship OCD. If I don't check out or investigate or see if something better is out there and make this comparison, I may then be stuck with something that is just subpar. It's not the best. It's not the best for me. And I will have settled and missed out on something that could have been so amazing. So there's that FOMO there, right? That fear of missing out that somehow whatever I have is not as good as what it could be and that I'm missing out on this amazing experience. We do this all the time in so many different contexts. First of all, if I lost 20 pounds, my life would be so much better. If I changed my hair color, my life would be so much better. If I made more money or had a bigger title, I would be so much happier. And we convince ourselves that whatever that other is that we don't have is exactly what we need to be happier, better, healthier, more satisfied, whatever, insert adjective there, okay? The problem with this is for people who have relationship OCD, for people who have OCD in general, but specifically for the sake of the topic of this episode, relationship OCD is that While they're constantly questioning and comparing, they're kind of stuck in this perpetual state of dissatisfaction. When you're always wondering if something else would be better, are you actually taking the time to appreciate what you do have? What's good about what you have? Or are we just constantly convinced that everything else is better. Well, I don't know about you. I've been in uh, quite a few relationships (laughs) and I can tell you there's no such thing as perfection. There's no such thing as a perfect partner. Even somebody who you think is going to be better because they're more educated, make more money, you know, are more physically attractive, may be lacking in other areas that you didn't even realize are really important to you until you're there. And then you're going, oh, I see. (laughs) 
I traded some things out and I lost others and didn't realize how important those others actually were to me. But then they go back to, well, they are important. So would somebody else be a better fit for me who has those qualities? And on and on we go. It's this grass is greener on the other side mentality. And of course, while we're constantly looking into all of our neighbors' yards and being creepy and admiring their grass, we're not spending any time watering ours. And so, of course, theirs looks better than ours because they take care of their grass. I'm neglecting mine because I'm busy staring at yours. So there's this total deflection that happens for people with relationship OCD away from themselves and their own relationships. They're so busy looking and seeking and comparing and fantasizing and speculating that that's time that could be spent by them to work on and develop and strengthen and improve what they have or improve themselves. But instead, because it's always going, it's this obsession, it takes up so much of their headspace, they're not focusing on that. And what happens for these people is they're constantly jumping and jumping and they want something else and then they get into something else and they're not sure that this is the best they could get. And it's this constant comparison. And from what I see of people who who have this is that they remain in this state of stasis where they're not actually making any progress, any movement. They're not growing and evolving as human beings, learning about themselves, you know, getting woke. They're not doing that. But they're comparing other people and criticizing them and, you know, breaking them down and thinking, would they be better for me? Well, here's my question for those people. What are you bringing to the table? If you were to turn around, and take a look at yourself, if somebody else was to sit and scrutinize you the way you do others to determine if they measure up as being, you know, adequate for them, well, I mean, while you're busy wondering if they're adequate for you, are you adequate for them? If they sized you up, would they take a hard pass, what are you bringing to the table if you're not working on yourself? And this is an important question because it makes me wonder when a person does this type of comparison of others, is it because they're avoiding looking at themselves because that's just thoroughly too uncomfortable? Or are they potentially a little bit of... Narcissistic, a little grandiose, a little overconfident? Are they unable to see their own flaws? Do they think they're perfect? That's a whole separate issue to talk about. But in the meantime, you know, they're criticizing others. I do think that part of why this happens and why we're seeing more and more of this, of this relationship OCD, is because of the good old internet. 
with access to so many other people, the ability to connect quickly with so many other people, it's really easy to start comparing and fantasizing and thinking, oh, well, you know, he or she or they is more attractive. They're so witty. They're so this. They're so that. And so it's really easy and I think in some ways very natural to begin to wonder if this person is a better match for me than somebody else or the person I'm currently with. When we have access to so much, I think it's it's just normal for us to become indecisive, right? If I walk into a restaurant and they have five items on the menu, I can make my decision fairly quickly. Now, if I walk into Cheesecake Factory where their menu is a damn novel, it's a fucking book that you flip through, I never know what to get. I could flip around and back and forth and I'm trying to at least narrow it down to some top three and I don't know because there's so many things to choose from and then I wonder, well, this thing sounds so good but so does this thing and now I don't know and then I flip to this other page and then there's two more things here that sound great and I worry that if I get that dish that it's not going to be as good as I'd hoped and I'm going to wish I got the other, right? It's like that buyer's remorse thing. We do it all the time. When we have more options, we become indecisive. We get FOMO. I worry that if I go for the pasta dish and it's not very good, I'm going to regret not opting for that particular sandwich that sounded delicious. And then I'm going to feel like I missed out and I ordered the wrong thing. It's going to ruin my whole meal. (laughs) Maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but this is where my mind goes, which is why a simple menu a place like in and out <laughs> you get a single or a double-double. It's really quite simple. I do well there. I know what I want. It's a quick decision. When I'm faced with a book and there's every kind of protein under the sun and every kind of dish, there's pastas and desserts and salads and sandwiches and wraps and sides and dips and God knows what else. I don't know what to get. I don't know what to get. And the problem is your portions are so huge that once you get it, you feel bad sending it back because it's such a waste of food. (laughs) But, you know, welcome to America. Sorry, getting sidetracked. Anywho, the internet is what makes it even more tempting to compare and to imagine yourself with something else, something different, potentially better. What if? And if I don't, what if I miss out? Right? That whole sentiment. Now, How do I go about treating this as a therapist? Well, first off, I think cognitive behavioral therapy, meaning really looking at behavior modification, first off is the the primary course of treatment before we dig into anything deeper. So basically helping somebody who has this... (sighs) proclivity, we can call it, um, or condition. I don't know that I want to call it a condition, but in any case, somebody who struggles with relationship OCD, the first thing I want to work on with them is what we call distress tolerance. The ability to sit with some of those questions, some of that FOMO, some of that dread. Build up your ability to sit with it. Not everything in life 
can be instant gratification. Delayed gratification is okay. It's not the end of the world. You'll live. The other thing that I want, I would like to work on with folks like this is cognitive distortions, distorted cognitions, meaning distorted thinking patterns, right? Thoughts that are not really realistic. So looking at things like, you know, if only, or I always, I never, these are distorted thoughts because chances are they're not accurate. They're not realistic, but folks will operate off of these as if they are fact. So challenging some of these and actually helping to shape them into more realistic thought processes, right? Helping them to understand that convincing yourself that a partner who looks different, acts different, whatever, may not necessarily be better. It may just be different. But there's no way to know if it's going to be better. It could be worse. And What's going on in your own relationship? Is there something that you're needing from your partner? Have you even bothered to talk to your partner about this and see if they can fulfill any of those needs for you? If it's something that you can work on in your own relationship. If you seem to wonder if being with somebody who has more, I don't know, more of an education than the partner you're with now, why? Is it a status thing? Or is it because you want to be able to have some type of intellectual conversation with them about a topic that you're worried they're not familiar with? Well, that's easy. They can familiarize themselves. Google is an amazing invention. But what really is the issue? What is it that's got you convinced that that's something that you're not only missing, but that your partner can't provide, or it's something that you can't even explore with your partner to see if they could do with you, for you. The other thing I work on when it gets overly intense is just thought-stopping techniques, right? Really pulling yourself out of the loop, recognizing when you're in that loop and you're going around and around and around, and actually mindfully very, uh, being very present about what's happening to pull yourself out of it, to shift your focus, distract yourself, get yourself out of the thought loop so that you don't then feel compelled to do something to relieve that tension of being in that loop, those compulsions. Remember obsessions, compulsions? So, These are some of the ways in which I just sort of start out treating these things. Obviously, there's oftentimes more deeper issues that can be addressed in therapy for this. But just on the surface, this is, it's disruptive. It can also really impact how you experience relationships and the quality of those relationships and the quality of your experiences within them. If you're not fully present in your relationship because you're constantly comparing it to others, how do you know if it's good or not? Well, maybe that's just some food for thought for you. But 
I hope this has been educational. Relationship OCD is a thing. It's sometimes called relationship substantiation. And uh, I hope you learned something. Hope this is helpful. I welcome your feedback. And as always, thank you for listening. And I'll catch you next time. Take care.